In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I have a question. At Halloween time, what did your kids love to dress up as? Oh, come on. Somebody's got to have an answer. They were ghosts. What else were they? Politicians. <laughs> right? Now, when I was a kid, it was Star Wars and Ghostbusters, right? We all wanted to dress up like Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or one of the Ghostbusters and wear all those cool columns. Now, as we grow up, some of us still like to dress up, right? We, we could go down to the movie theater some nights and see people dressed up as their favorite characters as they're about to go watch the new movie in a series. Some of us like to put on our favorite player's jersey before we go out and see the game. Some of our ladies dressed up in historical costume for our anniversary celebrations back in September. But for most of us, there's a fine line between a costume and a uniform, right? If you saw somebody dressed up in a, in a policeman's costume in the middle of July, what would you think? It's a little strange, right? But on, on Halloween night, you wouldn't think anything about it. Isaiah wrote, A shoot shall come up out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now last week we read in Isaiah that God promised his people the hope of redemption from the judgment they were about to live through. That the judgment didn't mean that God was done with them. The imagery we have this week is that the king and his kingdom are about to be chopped down like a tree. We all know what that looks like. When you chop down that tree, what's left? Just the stump, right? The tree's gone. And sometimes you look out your window and that tree's not there anymore. You just miss it because you're used to it taking up that space. But now the tree is gone. But God's promising them that in that desolate place where the tree was, a new shoot will grow. One that will fully embrace the Spirit of God. One that will rely on God's wisdom and His knowledge and His strength. One who does not simply look at the outward sign of what is going on, but one who with righteousness will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. He'll be able to look and to deal righteously with the poor and the meek. Why? Because the poor and the meek, when they have to go before the authorities, they don't make a good showing, right? They don't make a good showing before the king. They don't look right. They don't speak right. Sometimes they don't smell right. And they don't bring the right gifts, or if they do bring the right gifts, it's not the amount the king wants, right? It's a pittance compared to what other people can do. But the same king who can destroy any of us with his breath, with his spirit, he is righteous and he is faithful, and he loves his people. And he gives us another promise. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hands on the adder's din. They'll not hurt or destroy any on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Now last week we had that image, right? That image of the sword being beaten into a plowshare. This week we see the wolf and the lion, the lamb and the calf, all of them being led by a small child. Listen, this is not the way that David's kingdom works. It's not the way that our kingdoms work today, our nations, right? 
When David asked Saul's permission to go and fight Goliath, what did he tell him about himself? He said to Saul, Your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. If it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. The king, our president, whoever, the leaders of the nations have to be able to protect his people, or he's not much of a ruler. They go and they hunt the hunters. It's the way we expect our leaders to act today. But there is a promise that in this new kingdom, children are leading all the wild animals around and playing with them. They're playing with around poisonous snakes without fear. It's a reworking of the way nature works. That God in his love will restore all things to him. One where the effects of sin in our broken world will be completely reversed. A day when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If only we lived in that day. And one day we will. And that's what they're looking forward to when Jesus comes again. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will inquire of him, and his dwelling will be glorious. And when he comes again, we'll see him face to face. We'll no longer have to look like Paul says through a mirror darkly. We'll no longer have to do our best to reflect the light and love of God into the world. He will be here and be present and rule justly over us all. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son, that he may rule your people righteously and the poor with justice. Solomon, David's son, is the one who wrote this psalm. And what we get is a psalm that they used to sing at the coronations of the kings. A song that focused on what rulers should be like, right? He shall defend the needy among the people. He'll rescue the poor and crush the oppressor. In his time shall the righteous flourish. There'll be an abundance of peace till the moon will be no more. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may all the earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. But Solomon, Solomon never lives up to the words that are attributed to him, any more than David did. But there's one who came who did, and in whose kingdom we'll all live, and he'll reign with the love and justice of what was promised. And we see his preparation in our reading this, after, this evening. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now last week we talked about how when Noah was building his ark, his neighbors probably thought he was a little bit crazy because he was building that ark for decades, the Bible tells us. Here John shows up and he's dressed like Elijah out of the Old Testament. He comes with camel hair and a belt on. Elijah had been dead for hundreds of years at this point, but everyone knew what he dressed like. He's dressed like one of the prophets of old and he's calling on people to change. Now imagine if someone showed up out of the woods tonight dressed like Martin Luther, right out of the Renaissance, who was calling on everyone to change. We'd, we'd deal with that for a service or two, but then we'd begin to wonder a little bit what screw was loose, right? Why is this guy dressed like this? That's what it was like for the people in his day. And I'm sure there were people wondering around if he was cosplaying or wondering if this was his uniform. Matthew, though, doesn't give us any reason to judge beyond this. He says, this is the one who the prophet Isaiah spoke about when he said, this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew tells his readers straight away that John was there to fulfill what Isaiah had prophesied about years ago. One, calling in the wilderness, calling for everyone to change. 
And not just to come and be baptized, but to actually change. Right? It says, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. It's easy from our vantage point in history to pick at the Pharisees and Sadducees. But in just two chapters, Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not their rule following that's getting them into trouble. It's their lack of love. An example, we'll read this later on in Matthew. When they're telling Jesus it's wrong to kill someone on the Sabbath, he says, you're missing the point of it all. Man was made, made for the Sabbath and not Sabbath for man. The Sabbath was made to do good on them. You can go and rescue your livestock on the Sabbath. Why is it wrong for me to help one of your brothers on the Sabbath? But they had a hard time understanding that God's love had to be extended beyond them and their own righteousness. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to carry out his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he'll clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. John only wanted to see them have actual change. He was pointing to the one that was going to change them, Jesus. Right? He says, listen, we can, God is coming and God can tear down those trees. Hearkening back to Isaiah, right? It's that same imagery. We get in both our gospel this morning and Isaiah. That those trees can be cut down. But he points them back to Jesus. Jesus would not only call for us to change, but he would come and leave the Holy Spirit to help us. So we wouldn't have to try and live the changed life alone. Paul says, But for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Paul is telling the Roman church that the Old Testament was written to encourage us, to give us hope. Now sometimes when we read it, we have a hard time finding that hope because all we see is all the bad stuff. But then as we read the story of how God has dealt with the world in the past, we'll also have hope for his love and his grace. Because God's people have always struggled to live into the example that God's given us. But he is always faithful and always just to forgive us. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that encouragement is that we not only trust in God's love and goodness, but that we also live together in unity as the family of God, praising him all together and loving each other. Paul says, Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Not only being hospitable, but loving each other. Paul's already told them, but God has demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's already told them in Romans, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. He tells them to love as Jesus loved them. But why? In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For as it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Now back in Samuel and back in Psalms, it was written that the name of the Lord be praised throughout the whole earth and that everyone would come and worship on God's holy mountain. And just like today, if anyone to believe that will happen, 
but only after terrible fire and judgment. But instead, Jesus came as a servant and gave himself for us. And here, Paul is telling them that they're living in fulfillment of that prophecy. So please, just live like it, he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God will fill his children, he says, with peace, with joy, and with love. Not simply so that we can live contented in this life, but so that we can bring others onto his holy mountain and into his kingdom. Amen.